0: May the thoughts of our hearts and minds be pleasing to you, Lord. And may these words that I speak bear witness to the truth of what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you for the opportunity uh, to proclaim God's word to you today. Uh, It's a great responsibility that you have entrusted me with, and I'm grateful for this opportunity. Uh, The passage that we are looking at today is Acts chapter 3. Uh, It's rather lengthy, so we'll be taking it in sections. What you just saw there in the video uh, is the first 11 verses. Now, I would encourage all of you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. If you don't have one, there is one under the chairs. At least there were the last time I straightened them. Uh, Now, your Bibles should be down there. Please do turn to them, and if for some reason you get bored or tired and your Bible is open and you start to nod off, I will still thank you're paying attention and following along. And maybe your neighbor will also. So, if you'll allow me to, I'm going to read now from Acts 3, the section that the video just went over, just so we hear that. And I want to emphasize one important element in that first section of Acts chapter 3, starting at verse 1. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is a powerful moment in that the Holy Spirit, as right now, as we've been hearing about in the book of Acts, has come, and the apostles are now doing the same miraculous signs that Jesus did. But they're doing them in his name while he is not physically present. What they are doing is beyond a shadow of a doubt to an audience that has seen and even participated in Jesus' murder and death. They have physically seen him die. And now the apostles are coming and they're saying that he's alive, that his name has power. And you can empathize with those Jews. Hearing that, if you were to hear that, you saw this man die, let's say you were at the funeral and you saw that body, and then someone says, well, he's alive. You're like, really? Can you uh, prove that to me? Well, I saw him. Okay, okay. Anything else? Well, I mean, he's in heaven now, so, oh, okay, all right. But then suddenly, they come in contact with something they can't explain. A man that they've seen crippled, lame, for 40 years, outside of the temple gates, all of a sudden is walking, and he was healed by none other than the name of Jesus. And so, we have to wonder, what were they thinking then? How do you reconcile that, what would you say if you saw that happen? Now, the miracle of the lame man is often tied, has been tied in Scripture to forgiveness, which later on in our chapter, we'll talk about how Peter talks about repentance. But it's interesting that Jesus earlier on does the same miracle and talks about forgiveness as well. Luke 5, 17 through 26 There's another lame man who ends up walking, and Jesus uses this miracle to discuss the forgiveness of sins. So I ask you to keep in mind as we go through this miracle and then Peter's message, keep this question. Why is this a miracle accompanied with a teaching about the forgiveness of sins? What does this miracle have to teach us about the forgiveness of sins? So our today our big idea they gave me a pointer, a remote, it's really fun. Faith in the name of Jesus is effective for the forgiveness of sins. Faith in the name of Jesus is effective for the forgiveness of sins. And we're going to see both in the miracle and in Peter's message uh, three distinct elements a power, a conductor, and a responder. Three points. Power, a conductor, and a responder. power. In verses 11 and 12, Peter says, While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. Now we have Peter who has just looked at this man, said Rise up and walk, or in the name of Jesus get up and walk, and all of a sudden the man gets up and walks. Now I don't know about you, I have not had that experience of saying that to someone and pointing them up, but I would be quick if I saw that to think this is a man of God. Who is this man? I would immediately ascribe so much to Peter and his piety and his relationship with God. But Peter, immediately seeing that, tells where the power comes from. He says it's not from him. He does not take the credit for that. In fact, remember what he says. Peter speaks to the lame man, saying, In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And we find that that name commands power. Again, remember the audience that is standing there. These are people that saw Jesus die. They've seen him dead. They even may have participated in his death. And now you hear that his name has power. It has effect. It healed a man. Could Jesus be alive? No one who is dead could heal a man. Peter, who could have clearly taken credit, having spoken and just healed a man, knew where the power came from. Now I know what some of you may be thinking. If I could just speak that in the name of Jesus and a lame man would be healed, who could deny the power of Jesus? If we were still doing and seeing miracles like this, wouldn't brothers and sisters, friends, parents, grandparents, People that we love so dearly that don't know the Lord, wouldn't they have to recognize Jesus as Lord? Are there miracles done today? Have we experienced and not others experienced the transformation of a person that encounters Jesus and are forgiven of their sins? Remember what Jesus said when he did the miracle of the lame man. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven. Or to say, rise and walk. Are there miracles today that show Jesus is alive and has the power to forgive sins? There we go. Second, a conductor. So have in mind natural gas being burned at a power plant. So you have a power plant, there's a turbine, they burn the gas, it powers the turbine, which sends electricity through power lines into your homes. Now, in the research that I've done, those of you that know more about electricity, bear with me, I tried to study this. So, the turbine gets turned by natural gas, for example. But almost 60% of the energy that is used in the natural gas is not captured by the turbine. So it's wasted energy. It does not get captured. It does not get turned into electricity. Then, in the power lines, about 6 to 10% of the energy that is going through that is also lost. And so, with that, you've got a ground total of about 70% of the energy that's actually originally there, not making it to your homes. And yet, for some reason, we like to think that our power plants are rather effective. Do they not power our homes? They... Power our phones, they power and help run our appliances. So we consider them effective, and yet 70% of the energy may be lost on its way there. Our second point today, our second element, is imperfect believers convey our faith in Jesus' name by testifying to what He has done and done in our lives. Acts 13 through 16. Peter is still speaking, and he says, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you deliver over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murder to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. I found it strange when looking at this that Peter, basically, in sharing this gospel witness, accuses everybody of murder. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if you're going to share the gospel... Uh, my first thought would not be, I'm accusing you of murder, and then I will tell you about Jesus. That just doesn't line up, or at least it doesn't seem to. But if you think about it, Peter's history, all of a sudden it makes a lot more sense. So in the Gospel of John, it records Peter being asked by a servant girl You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? he said, I am not. Some servants and officers by the fire asked him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? And Peter replied, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. Three times he denied knowing Jesus. And this is Peter who's addressing the crowd and saying, twice, you who denied in the presence of Pilate, you who denied the Holy and Righteous One. Peter is sharing from his experience. He's denied Jesus, and he's experienced a change, a transformation. And now he is sharing that, in a way that meets that crowd, meets those Jews that were there, and addresses them the way that he had been met. Would it be hypocritical for him to base on his own piety that he healed the lame man? Absolutely. For he is no better off than those that he's sharing to. For he too, who knew Jesus far better, far better, than anyone in that crowd, denied him multiple times. But we also hear in the book of John, which, by the way, if you remember, John is standing there with Peter. So it's quite interesting that he's right next to Peter as all of this is going down. And so I just have this image of John just uh, kind of holding Peter accountable in some level. You know, you have that friend looking at you as you're like, well, you denied, you denied. And John's like, uh-huh, yeah, hmm But John also writes later on in chapter 21, Simon Peter is standing with Jesus, and Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him, a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said this to him a third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Peter, who denied Jesus completely three times, now is standing completely restored by Jesus And Peter now is bearing witness to the power of Christ that he's experienced in his own life as he has experienced forgiveness that is found in the name of Jesus. And he knows that is what this crowd needs. We each have our avenue, our conduit through which we proclaim the gospel. God has reached out to us each in a different way, meeting us where we have needed, those of us that have Come to know him as Lord. For some of us, it may be something similar to Peter, having denied, rejected him, and finally the gospel has made its way through and changed us. For others, it may be, as for myself, God meeting us in a lonely and dark place and providing a love that transforms our lives. That's the avenue through which God has met me, and that's how I came to know him as Lord, is in. Him meeting that and showing that love. For others of us, it may be that God has met us through the truth of the gospel. For example, we have had so many many facts that's like, no, this can't be true, can't be true, can't be true. And yet, in studying the gospel, we find that it is true and it's the truth. And that transforms our lives. There are different avenues through which God has met us And Peter, using the avenue through which God has met him, speaks to these people. And it has an impact. All right. A responder. The gospel calls a person to repent and to be restored by faith in Jesus' name. Acts 3, 19 through 21, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago there's a faith response to what Christ has done. It's to repent of our wickedness and turn from our wickedness. This turning from the corrupt desires that we have, from the idols that we have made, is made possible by Christ. For no one can forgive their sins nor reject their sins by their own power. Think of the context in which Peter and John are in the guilt that you would feel if you had physically been present there with the crowd screaming for Jesus to be killed. Think of it, for example, we often split the spiritual and the physical. So as much as we will say, hey, uh, I was the one there that nailed the nails into the cross. We say that. We try to understand that because spiritually we were. But those that were physically there, just think of how much more overwhelming that would be to have someone say, the Messiah, the one that we longed for, I actively, physically participated in the murder of. It makes sense that Peter then tells them, and now, brothers, in verses 17 and 18, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, and as did your rulers, but God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that that his Christ would suffer he thus fulfilled. So yes, there is blood on your hands, but it is not something that God was unprepared for. Peter really just kind of takes that, that level of shame and guilt off of the crowd there and suddenly enables them to, again, listen. Because if I would have been there, I will tell you, I would have been overwhelmed with shame and it would have been hard to hear the good news that Peter has yet to share. Now, when talking about repentance and turning back and an active response, again, a responder, an image that comes to mind is that of from Lord of the Rings. So we recently watched one of the films of that, and it was on my mind. And then it reminded me of yet the third film. And in the third film, you have this image, this moment in which Frodo is hanging on the edge of a volcano. Now, that's a rough place to be. But he's hanging there on the edge of a volcano, and you see in his eyes that he doesn't have the strength to pull himself up. In fact, he's about to let go. And it's at that moment, Sam reaches out over the cliff edge and asks him and tells him to reach and grab my hand. Now, is Sam able to grab Frodo and pull him up? No, he can't. He's too far away. Frodo on the other hand, has no hope of making it out without Sam. But he has to respond to what Sam is saying. He has to reach out and take Sam's hand. And I really think that that response is something that is what's called here. And we see that even if we want to go back to our miracle, that with the lame man. Think of it. The lame man is sitting there. You have this guy that sees you, looks at you, you're expecting money from, walks straight up to you and says, silver and gold I don't have. My first thought would have been, well, you're kind of worthless to me right now. But he looks straight at him and says, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, hearing that, what would be the natural response? Well, probably. Well, that's great. Thanks, man. Uh, Go on your way. The guy's crazy, or something to that effect. But what does he do? Not only does he take Peter's hand, but he leaps to his fate, a guy who has never walked, never stood, and then on top of that, what does he do? He starts walking. The guy's been 40 years without standing or walking, and now is standing and walking and praising God. You talk about a faith response. There is a response there. Now, did he heal himself? No, we've already talked about where the power came from, Who spoke it? Who was that conduit through which God used? Well, Peter and the Holy Spirit. But there was a faith response. The lame man leaps up and starts walking. There is a faith response. And that is something that, for those of you that do not know the Lord, may I speak to you today and say, is he reaching out to you? Is he holding his hand out for you that you may take it? that he may save you from your sins, from the wrong things that you do. So, why is the miracle of the lame man connected with the forgiveness of sins? Well, the lame man was from birth unable to walk, unable to stand. And it shows a powerful physical example of our spiritual reality. We cannot save ourselves from our sins. They have been there since the beginning. We cannot stand. We cannot save ourselves. Or, as the layman, he cannot stand and walk. It's a powerful image and something that compels us to really think about the physical reality as it relates to the spiritual reality. And Jesus uses that, and now you have Peter using that. We look at Acts 3:22 through23, where Moses said, "The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever He tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people." There's this, at, this section on destruction and separation. And that's one of the things that you think on when you don't respond. There is a consequence to not responding. Not simply for the lame man had he not responded, just never walking. And not simply for us not responding that we physically die, for everyone physically dies. But there is a consequence of being cut off from God's people And that has an eternal consequence. That has a loss that is permanent. So I ask you again today, will you accept the hand that is being reached out to you? Will you take Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And will you turn to him this day and be a responder getting behind on my clicker. There we go. Brothers and sisters, for those of you who have called upon the name of the Lord and, and have experienced that salvation, you have experienced the gift that Peter gave, that of the blessing he speaks of being and having been turned from your wickedness, having been saved from your sin, and no longer being enslaved to evil desires and passions. I urge you to share that good news as Peter did. Peter did not base his testimony simply upon himself and on his own piety. He based it upon what Christ had done, about what Christ had accomplished. Yes, we have the opportunity to participate, to be a conduit through which the gospel is shared. Peter shared through the avenue through which God had met him. And I know that for each one of you who know Jesus, you have the opportunity as well to share Through the way God has met you, we call it a testimony. You share about, you bear witness to what God has done in your life to others. God met me in my loneliness, and that is the direction through which I share my testimony. For those that people are alone, there is love that is meeting that need. There is love that doesn't have time limits. There is love that meets us where we are at, and there is love that fills us with a joy that we crave and hunger for. That's the way that God, that's the avenue through which I share my testimony, and it's different for each one of you. And I would encourage you, brothers and sisters, to step out and to share that, to participate in the adventure, the mission, the opportunity that you have to move forward, to step forward, and to share the gospel. We have that opportunity. We have that mission. And that is something that is exciting. We can get up. We can go out. We have an entire section right here. The book of Acts we've been talking about is unleashed. And it gives me this image of what Peter is doing here and that he's advancing the gospel like an advancing army, taking ground. He's stepping out. He's moving out, and he is sharing the gospel forward. He is not like a king who has victory and is now resting on his past laurels. He is moving forward. He is proclaiming God's word. He's sharing the gospel, and he's doing it in a powerful way. And I would encourage you to participate in that mission, to be a conduit. However, knowing that you're not going to be perfect, you can't share the fullness of the gospel, a lot of it is going to be lost in what you say and in what you do. But even in that, you can know that God's word, the name of Jesus, is effective. And just as the lame man was healed and stood up and walked, so is our sins forgiven when we call upon the name of Jesus. It is that same effect, just as physically tangible as a lame man walking, so is the spiritual reality of our sins being forgiven when we call on the name of the Lord. May that embolden you to share. May that strengthen your faith. And may that encourage you this day. Those of you who have heard this message on the gospel over and over and over and over again, may that be a reminder to you that what you have affects change. There are so many of my friends that are younger, your millennial group, that's like, I want to make change in the world. I want to make an impact. I want to do something with my life. I want to be on mission. And I'm telling you right here, just as Peter was on mission, so too we can be on mission. We can be accomplishing. We can, as a church, be advancing the gospel. As an army going forward, taking ground back, building a kingdom. For those of you that like construction, building active. It is something that we can physically participate in. And I would encourage that for each one of you, that what you do when you speak the name of Jesus, that name is effective for change. That name will make a difference. That name will change people's lives. That name is the name that is effective for the forgiveness of sins.